I am most honored to be able to be with you uh, this week and to share the good news of our gospel with you. Many thanks to Seth and Kendra uh, for sharing this pulpit. You know, um, Seth hesitated to invite me. Now he hesitated because I've been telling him how I'm loving retirement. And uh, I really love not having the responsibilities. But he should always know to get to preach in a pulpit like this where so many wonderful sermons have been preached by so many gifted pastors is an honor. And I'm enjoying getting to know many of you as uh, we're making adjustments to retirement and finding a new place to be able just to listen to some magnificent sermons as opposed to being giving them all the time. Um, our scripture today is a scripture that is only found in Luke's gospel. It joins a trinity of scriptures that are especially loved in Luke's gospel that are only in that gospel, and that would be the prodigal son or the, or the waiting father uh, or the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus had a way in preaching, especially in his parables, of being very unpredictable. You never knew the surprise that would await you at the end of the parable that Jesus would tell. This is one of those parables that does that for us. It reminds me of a cousin of mine, cousin Frank Ashley. He was a man that was full of surprises. You never knew what he was going to do. Very unpredictable. I don't mean in a bad way. It was always a good way. He had a great sense of humor. He knew how to turn something around to his own advantage. And uh, Cousin Frank farmed family land down in the Mississippi Delta, which I lived on the edge of, thank God. And, um, and uh, he uh, was just a good farmer, an excellent farmer. Now, down in the rural culture, it's very different than urban culture. You go to rural areas, you know, we got all kinds of things we can go do. Anyway, we can go to a play, we can go see the opera, we can go uh, top golf, or any number of golf courses we can go to. People in rural areas don't have those things. What they have is the gift of the land. They live on the land, off the land. They commune on the land. And they share in it together, especially in activities like hunting and fishing. That's why um, so many people who guns rights are they rise up. It's almost a sacred lifestyle for them because it means so much. It's how they connect to each other. We have trouble with guns, and rightfully so, given how many people are killed, and we are right to stand up and try to get uh, laws passed that limit some of the harm. And many of us probably wouldn't think of killing anything, but in rural culture, it's a way of life. It's good we begin by understanding it. Now, now Frank, one day, uh, he was known as a very poor hunter. And he wasn't a good fisherman. Not a good thing you live in a rural area, right? Well, everyone was always joking with him about how bad he was. And one day he went to Booga Bottom. Booga Bottom was a little cafe in the middle of a cotton field in the Delta that all the farmers gathered. All his friends were there, and he walked in, and there was his friend Jimmy, or so-called friend Jimmy. Jimmy said, Frank? I don't see a deer there in your truck. In fact, I haven't seen a deer all season long in your truck. And I don't think I saw one last year. Well, I don't think you could shoot a target 20 feet in front of you. 
Well, them are fighting words. Frank said, Jimmy, I tell you what, you take that hat of yours and you bring it outside and we'll go and you toss that hat up as far as you can toss it and I, I will shoot that hat. Well, now that hat wasn't just any hat. That hat was a hat that he loved where it was practically glued to his head, never took it off. His wife made him take it off at church on Sunday morning. That's the only time it got pried off. So everyone can't wait to see what's happening. Everyone's laughing. Everyone's piling outside the Booga Bottom to see this thing. He gets out there, and Jimmy throws that hat up as far as he can throw that hat up. Frank is there with his shotgun, and it's resting on his arm, and he's just standing there completely relaxed. The hat is going up. Frank does nothing. A strong wind picks it up and takes it out further. Frank does nothing. It falls and hits the ground, and Frank raises his gun and goes, boom! <laughs> Told you I'd shoot your hat. Frank was a man who did unexpected things, and you never quite knew what he was going to do. Jesus is the same way, especially in these parables. In these parables, he shoots our fixed perspectives into a hundred pieces, and he invites us to hear anew a life-altering gospel that will not change only our behavior, but transform our perspectives and our hearts. Today's reading is from Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Now this is a very old and familiar parable. It would apparently have a very simple, easy, moral lesson for us to take home. Don't be like the Pharisee, who apparently is thinking too highly of himself and despising others he deems not as good as he is. The Pharisee is committing the sin of pride and self-righteousness and the sin of judging his fellow human being. And therefore, he is acting better than everyone else because he thinks in his prayer that he is better. And he compares himself and puts down other people in order to feel good about himself. And then there's the tax collector, 
Rather than being like the Pharisee, we should be like the tax collector. The tax collector is not guilty of the sin of pride and the sin of thinking of himself better than anyone else. Rather, he is someone who knows his place. He knows that he has sinned. And therefore, he gives us an example of what prayer is like because he goes before God, does not even dare to lift up his head, and says, God, forgive me, a sinner. He is an example of being humble, of being someone who knows his place before God. And that is the way we've traditionally heard this story. It's certainly how, how the gospel of Luke, and the Luke who wrote this gospel, uh, preached it to his congregation. Luke told the parable, in fact, and he begins that parable as Luke writes it. He says, he, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Luke's message, of course, is not wrong. He is an inspired writer. But Luke was doing what every preacher does every Sunday, taking these old texts, speaking through the Holy Spirit to the congregation, to the circumstances that they are facing, a fresh and new word that comes from God. He understood himself as having that spirit as we preachers are called to do and to present a new word. So what he had to say to his congregation, I could preach on today and do a great sermon with because you know why? He had something to say that we need to hear. We all know what it's like to take that sideward glance to look at our neighbor and to think, huh, I'm doing way better than he's doing. I'm handling things a lot better spiritually than she is. And I must not be too bad if I'm out like that. You ever think that? And then we never really focus on ourselves and the brokenness that we could be asking for God's healing because we are so focused on the wrong that other people are doing that we don't have to. So Luke's message is relevant and good, but there are layers to the saw, to, to the uh, parables, and that's the layer in which he shares it. But if we go back to what Jesus said and the audience in whom Jesus was speaking this to, I think it was an entirely different message. In fact, I invite you to listen today to what this message has to say as I think Jesus spoke it. Jesus did not speak parables to make moral points. He didn't try to uh, say, okay, this is how you should go and do. What he did do was tell parables in a way that would transform our attitudes, our hearts, into the attitude in the heart of God. And once we've been transformed in our perspective, our way of looking and living something, we are able to change our behaviors in the way that we live. So when Jesus told the parable, he went for a deeper level of transformation than just our behavior. And that's what he does in this parable. If you can hear it as I think Jesus spoke it to that first group of people. Let's look at the parable itself. Just look at the words themselves. They speak for themselves. 
First, when you look at the parable, nowhere in the parable is the Pharisee standing off in the middle of a group of people making a show of his piety. Rather, we are told that he went off by himself to pray his prayer to God. Second, the Pharisee doesn't act self-righteous. He gives thanks to God for all the evil that he has avoided doing because God has enabled him to do that and for all the good things that he's been able to do. Just listen to some of the things that he gives God praise for that God's given him the grace to avoid. He's not an extortioner. He does not steal from his fellow human being. He does not commit injustice on others. In other words, he's careful to be mindful of people who are less fortunate than he is. And he's not committed adultery. He's faithful to his wife and his family. And he's thankful that God has given him that ability. And he thanks God for it in the prayer. It is a prayer you can find in the Psalms in many places, beginning with Psalm 1, a thanksgiving for all that God has enabled him to do. Now, in fact, he does many good things in addition to that. Did you notice what the, the prayer said that he has been doing? He fasts twice a week. Now, I dare say very few uh, Christians in our day do much practicing fasting unless they're trying to lose weight. But fasting is an old spiritual practice. We fast because it makes us aware of the goodness of what we have when we're missing it. It also lets us know what it's like for people who must not have it because we're seeing what it's like to be hungry a bit. But it also is a way of a contrition, of, of asking for forgiveness because I'm fasting. So he fasts once a week for his own sake. But then he fasts the second time because he knows that he's got many of his compadres who don't practice their faith and he does it on behalf of them and prays for their well-being. Not only that, he makes a sacrifice in the way that he gives. He says, I tithe all that I have gained. Well, everything he's gained has already had a tithe paid on. He's a Pharisee. Therefore, he doesn't really need to tithe anything. He can keep it all for himself. But he gives away 10% that it may be used for the benefit of the temple and the poor. So when you think about the Pharisee, as Jesus would have understood him, and the audience who heard Jesus first speak, you think about the very best church person that you've ever known. Think about the people in this congregation that you look up to and you say, now there is someone that goes over and above what they have to do. There is a really good person who's living the faith. And now in the other corner, we have one more character to look at. We have the character of the uh, tax collector. The tax collector, we romanticize the tax collector. We like, we all, Jesus ate and sat and had dinner with the tax collectors and the sinners. Isn't it wonderful? They must be nice, fun people at some level. Truth is, tax collectors were absolutely despicable. Probably the most hated people by their fellow Jews in that time. They had reason to hate the tax collector. Their land was occupied by the Roman government who oppressed them with heavy taxes. And who collected that tax? One of their fellow Jews. 
who had bought the right to collect the tax. And that means that they can, they must collect what Rome wants, no matter how much, no matter how much it hurts the person they collected from. Many people were subsistent farmers, hardly surviving on, on what little plot of land they had. And they could take the land from them. And if they could take more, they could keep it from themselves. And to do that, they had the Roman army by their side to enforce the law. So these are extortioners. These are people who have betrayed their nation and their people. These are people that live rich while so many people live poor. That, when you, so when you think of the tax collector, you really ought to think of someone like Bertie Madoff with the Roman army to back him up. And not only that, he did this to himself, and he cannot get out of it. Because in Jewish law, to be forgiven, to be restored to the community of faith, he must pay everyone back that he has ever taken anything from, plus some extra on top of that, and he must do it with clean money. But he doesn't have any clean money. Everything he's got is tainted money. There's no way for him to be restored. He is a trapped human being. And I'm sorry, but it's his own fault. He made a decision to do that. For all we know, he may leave that place and go and do it again. So when he prays, he prays the only prayer he can think to do. He doesn't lift his head up to heaven. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, who do you think God should forgive? Well, Jesus then says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went home justified. And not the good and righteous and productive and contributing Pharisee. Whoa. I tell you, Jesus was a man full of surprises? Really? Jesus? Are you serious? Yeah. Where is the good news in this for us? Because I dare say, everyone in this room's probably 90% Pharisee, maybe 10% tax collector. Some of you are probably much less than that. You contribute and you give and you do the right thing time and time again. You're imperfect, you've got a tax collector side. But let me ask you to do something. Let me ask you to think about that tax collector. I mean, think about that Pharisee first in you. I want you to think about how you're like the tax. I want you to thank God for all the good things that you're able to do in this world. Not because you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps, because it's all grace. You came into this world with nothing. Life is a, birth is a windfall. And so much that you have, you've been able to do because of other people and the grace that has come into your life that has enabled you to be and become who you are. It is right that you do as this Pharisee does and give God thanks and praise God for what God has enabled you to do with your life. It's a gift. Why not be thankful? Well, let me ask you something else. Consider that party that is Think about those things that you have left undone in your life that you could be doing, but you didn't do because maybe you're too afraid and you've not become up and 
use the full gifts that God has given you because you've held yourself back in fear. I think about those things you've done in your life that have caused harm to, to other people, to those you know, to those you love sometimes, sometimes those you love the most. You've said and done things that have caused pain. Those things at night that you lay awake and that come back to haunt you and you wish you could just take them back and do something different than you did before, but you can't do it, it's too late. Harm has been done. Consequences have been paid. There is a part of all of us that is, holds back, that does not love. A protective part of ourselves, it's not all bad because it does protect us, that's angry, that's suspicious, that lives in fear, that doesn't let anyone get close to us, does not say sometimes the words that we need to say to those we love most in this world because we're terrified of being that vulnerable with someone else because we've been hurt before. There's a part of us that lives in fears of what everybody else thinks about us and therefore we are so protective of ourselves that we don't dare and let ourselves take the risk of sacrifice and loving others. It is for that part of ourselves. It is not for the Pharisee. The Pharisee, see, Jesus came to save not those who were found, but those who were lost. It is the Pharisee who needs nothing, really, because he's or she is doing quite well in this world. It is that broken tax part of ourselves that finds it so hard to love. The part of ourselves that we feel so damnably trapped that we can do nothing to undo what we've done. It is for that person that Jesus allowed himself or his friends to be hung upon a cross where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what Hear the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, the tax collector in you is forgiven. Amen.